0: Happy New Year! So glad that you are here. Welcome to Fort Caroline. My name is Ricky. I'm honored to be the lead pastor here. If this is your first Sunday with us, we are humbled that you would kick off your new year in this way. And it's our prayer as a church that we can help you reach higher for all that God has for you today and this year. And uh, we're starting a new series, as you can see, called Just Around the Corner. And I felt led to, to share this in the first three weeks of January. To help you get this year off to a great start. So often I talk to people who feel a little down and a little discouraged about the struggles that they're facing. Uh, Sometimes people are struggling with being all that God wants them to be and living like Jesus wants them to live. And they say, I just don't know what that looks like for me. And so I want to help you by sharing a message in a couple of weeks that just shows us how we can put some of the past behind us. And live for Christ today like he would have us to. And to find the purpose that he has for our lives. And then other times I meet people who are struggling with a lot of hurt. You know, we live in a world where people are hurt. And often those hurts don't just come through the struggles of life. They can come through the relationships that we have. And often we struggle because we we can't seem to forgive how another person has hurt us. And we carry that baggage into our everyday life, and it, it poisons our relationships, it poisons our attitude, it steals our joy. And so next week, I want to talk to you about how to forgive those who have hurt you, and we've all got those folks. But today, I want to talk about something else that I often see people struggling with, and they're just ready to give up, and they're ready to just say, there's no hope for me. And they don't realize that they don't need to give up because what they're looking for is just around the corner. And that is to find freedom from financial bondage. This is a great sermon to preach right after Christmas, right? You know, whenever you racked up the credit cards and uh, you spent all that money at Christmas and you're still paying for Christmas 2017. And now you're paying for 2018. And now you're getting ready for 2019's Christmas. And often people are struggling financially and they just don't know what to do to get out from under that. And that can also poison every day of your life and hurt your relationships. It can hurt marriages when a husband and a wife are feeling the tension in their home over their financial struggles. It can hurt whenever we can't give like we want to give to good people or to good causes. And it can put a lot of strain. But it doesn't have to be that way. Today I want to talk to you about finding freedom from financial bondage. And so yes... This is a message about money. And I just want to go ahead and throw that out there right there at the beginning. Because some of you are going, great, I could have slept in today. You know, he's talking about money. That's all this church talks about. Well, that's just not true. And uh, in fact, I hope you understand by the end of this message. I don't, I'm not talking about what we want from you today. So you can loosen that vice grip on your wallet. You know, ladies, you can not have to clutch your purse throughout the whole sermon. I'm not asking anything from you. This message is about what I want for you. This church isn't about what we get from you. It's about what we want for you. And we want for you to experience financial freedom and blessing. And, of course, I know that there are people who think that this is not a topic For today, you know, you shouldn't talk about people's finances in church. And I get why they feel that way. There are a lot of bad things that have been done in the name of Christ or in the name of religion where people have been used or abused only for their money. But that is not who this church is. You know, you're not ever going to hear me asking you to take a special offering so that I can have a $65 million private jet to do the Lord's work. It's just not gonna happen. You're not in a church where when you put money in the offering plate, you don't know where it goes and how it is spent. This church adopts a budget that you adopt, you vote on and approve. And then we have to manage it every month. And I go before a group of church members called our finance team, and I give an account to them of how much has come in and where it's spent and all the line items. If you ever want that budget, call the office, and you can get a year-to-date budget of how much has come in and where it has been spent. We even open our books up every year to an accounting firm for an annual audit, and we have never received anything other than a clean, unqualified opinion. In fact, our auditors last year said, We don't have any suggestions for you guys to improve. There's nothing we can say to this church that will help you be better stewards and more transparent with what your people are entrusting you with. Well done. If, amen. Give God a hand for that. In fact, they, they made the statement almost every year now for the last 10 years. They say, We deal with businesses for profit and we deal with nonprofits. Most of them are much larger than this church is, but you are the example we use to all of them of how finances should be handled. So, so listen, we don't make any apology at Fort Caroline because we're a generous group of people, but we're transparent. Everything is out in the open because we're doing a good work in our community and around the world. But I know that if you ask the average unchurched person in our community, why don't you attend church? They'll have several reasons. Uh, one of those could be the sermons are boring. Don't say amen there. Sometimes they'll say, well, I just don't go. The sermons are boring. I, don't, I just don't believe in organized religion. Or people will say the reason they don't go to church is because all those people are after is your money. In fact, I won't call any names, but there's some people in this room who have said to me that before you became a follower of Jesus Christ, that was one of your main reasons of why you didn't come to church. And, of course, you came to church, met Jesus, And you realized that was just not true of every church. But here's what I'll tell you about this message, Finding Freedom from Financial Bondage. We believe that money is a spiritual issue for those of us who are followers of Christ. Money is a spiritual issue. No one in this room would argue with me this morning if I said, Jesus needs to be first in every area of our lives. So I could have started this message series by talking about putting Jesus first in your relationships. If you're a married family, here's what that looks like uh, in your marriage. If you're single and dating, here's what that looks like for you. If you're a child and how you relate to your parents, here's what it looks like to put Jesus first in your life. It's a spiritual issue. I could have started this year by talking about our work relationships and how that we need to reflect the love of Jesus and the values of Christ even in our workplace or at school and no one would have argued with that but listen your finances are a reflection of your life that you invest your life in pursuits and you are rewarded and and paid as a result of your work and so your finances are a reflection of your life. They're your life monetized. They're your time turned into dollars. And some of you say, yeah, dollars. Very few, but that's your life. And we believe there's no dichotomy as followers of Jesus between spiritual and secular. That no, Jesus is Lord of every aspect of our life, every moment of every day, including our finances. Money is a spiritual issue. In fact, it's printed on your money, in God we trust. So I think right there, uh, exhibit A, money is a spiritual issue. It's what we do with it that makes the difference. And we as followers of Jesus want to be found good stewards of what he's given to us. So if you're finding yourself struggling with financial bondage, I want to give you three principles that will help you find freedom. And for many of you, you, you've already gone through what we call Financial Peace University. It's a class offered by Dave Ramsey. And our church went through this as a congregation a couple of years ago in the Unleashed campaign. How many of you went through Financial Peace University during those times? Look at all those hands. That's awesome. I asked the same question at the 8 o'clock traditional service, and several hands went up. And so for some of you, this is going to be a refresher course. Because here's the thing about Financial Peace University, that you always work the plan No matter how far along you are, there's always another step to take in in making sure that once you find financial freedom, you don't go back. You keep building on that, and you leave a legacy for your family. So these three principles, for those of you that have already had FPU, will sound very familiar. But if you haven't gone through FPU, Financial Peace University, or if you weren't here during the Unleashed campaign a couple of years ago, this will be new for you. So principle number one, money is a powerful force. Principle number one, money is a powerful force. You know, money is is something that enables you to do good or to do bad. But either way, it is a powerful force in all of our lives. The way God wired the world, money is a necessary part of existence always has been in some form or the other and always will be now there are a couple of extremes that we need to avoid when we think about money the first false statement that sometimes people will make is money or having money is a sign of God's blessing and poverty is a sign of his displeasure that's not true That is a lie to say that money is a sign of God's blessing always or that poverty is a sign of God's displeasure always. You can't make those blanket statements. As a matter of fact, I know and you know examples of people who have lots of money, but they didn't get it in a good or godly way. Have you ever heard the phrase, ill-gotten-gain? There are a lot of people who have what they have because they defraud other people, they steal from other people, they abuse and use other people. And so, yeah, they get rich off the backs of others. That's not a sign of God's blessing in their life. That's just a sign that they have manipulated their circumstances in such a way to make money. Now, of course, we also know people who do have money, whether it's, you know, what you would consider an average income, or maybe they're extremely wealthy, and they got it the right way. They worked hard, and they did things well with wisdom, and yes, the way God has wired our world, they have been blessed. And then on the other extreme, you can't look at all poor people and say, they must be doing something wrong. God must not be pleased with them. That is why they're poor. That is what you will hear many television preachers preach today, That is not in the Bible. That is not true. Some of the most godly, Christ-like people I have ever met in the world live in other countries, and compared to America, they are poor. No, not really compared to America. They're just poor. And they are some of the best people you will ever meet in your life. And often when I go to see them, I am convicted Of my need to be a better follower of Jesus. To get my priorities right. So you can't look at another person and say that they're poor. Because they're not doing what God wants them to do. There are all kinds of circumstances in our world that create poverty. And Jesus said the poor you will always have with you. It's always going to be a a tension that we have to manage. and, And something we have to always look at. But the reason I say this and highlight this false... Idea is because some people think, I'm doing great. I must be doing fine as far as God's concerned. And that's not true. But some of you may be struggling and say, maybe I'm not a good Christian. Maybe, Maybe God's not pleased with me. Maybe God just doesn't trust me with stuff. And you start beating yourself up as a result of that. And that is not true. That is a lie from the devil. He's the accuser of the brethren. And you need to not accept that. You need to reject that. If that was true, this statement, then why would Jesus say in Matthew chapter 19, verses 23 and 24, Truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Jesus says it's not always blessed to be rich, sometimes it's a burden to be rich, because a lot of rich people struggle to admit to themselves and to God that I may have a lot of the things of this world, but when it comes to my relationship with God, I am spiritually bankrupt. There is nothing in me that can merit God's love or his forgiveness or his salvation. I've got to come to him with nothing but humility, saying, I'm sorry for my sin. Please forgive me. He said a lot of rich people struggle with humility. It's easier for a camel to get through the eye of a needle than for that rich person to get into heaven. And if this statement, money is a sign of God's blessing and poverty is a sign of his displeasure, is true, why would the Bible say, say in Proverbs chapter 28, verse 6, better is a poor man who walks in integrity than a rich man who walks in crooked ways. The Bible says it would be better for you to be poor with your integrity intact than to have a lot of wealth and to be a crook. Now, most of us would rather be rich and have our integrity, you know, if we have to choose. But when God looks at it and he says, okay, here's a poor person. But you know, that poor person's a good person. They're honest. They're decent. They're hardworking. Here's a rich person who's a crook. Better to be this person than that rich crook in the eyes of God. And James chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, the brother of Jesus warns us against showing partiality to people based on what they have or they don't have. He he says, you better be careful that you don't treat rich people differently than poor people. And he gives this illustration about a rich person in their fine apparel and their jewelry walks into your Christian assembly, your worship service, and you go out of your way to, oh, we're so glad you're here. We are honored by your presence. You come sit here at the front in the seat of honor. Everyone, listen, I want to introduce so-and-so to you today. Look who's here today, this rich person. And then in the same service, a poor person comes in and you say, Hey, you, sit here at my feet in the back and be quiet. James says in James chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, If you really fulfill the royal law according to the Scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. But if you show partiality between the rich and the poor or any other distinction between black and white, young or old, married or single, whatever, Republican, Democrat, if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressor. The half-brother of Jesus said, you can't treat people differently based on what they have. Now, there's a second extreme that we need to avoid in our thinking about money, and that is this thought, money is evil. Maybe I ought to do a sermon series one day on the the way people misquote Scripture. Sometimes people misquote Scripture or they misapply Scripture. They'll say, the Bible says, thou shalt not judge. Well, are you saying I'm wrong when I just said, yes, so are you judging me? Oh, well, yes. (laughs) And so they take that verse of Jesus saying, you shall not judge out of context to make it sound like we can't make any judgments whatsoever between good and bad, between right or wrong. And that's not what he was talking about, by the way. Maybe I should preach a sermon on that one Sunday. Here's another verse that people misquote. They'll say, the Bible says money is the root of all evil. You ever heard that? You ever heard anybody say that? That's not what the Bible says. What does the Bible say? Thank you very much. It's the love of money. First Timothy chapter 6, verse 10. Paul writes, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves through with many pangs, many problems, many afflictions, many troubles. That people mess up their lives when they love money to the point they'll do anything to get it. They'll compromise their values. They'll hurt other people. They'll put God on the, the back bottom shelf. And they love money more than they love God. The Bible says if we love anything or anyone more than God, that something or someone has become an idol and God said in the Ten Commandments, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. He must be first in our lives. And so we're not saying money is evil. In fact, money is not immoral. And money is not moral. Money is amoral. When you add the little prefix, a, it means without morals. Money is amoral. It is without morals. Money just simply magnifies the person holding it. It's like a brick. A brick is amoral. And with that brick, you can either break a window or you can build an orphanage. It all depends on the heart of the person holding it. And money is not the root of all evil. It is the love of money that is the root of all evil. Money is a moralist, what we do with it. If if you have a lot of money and you're a jerk, you just now have more and bigger opportunities to be jerky. <laughs> Whatever that that's not even a word. <laughs> but that'll work for the moment. And so so we need to avoid this idea that money is evil. Now, the first principle is money is a powerful force. The second principle is money expands and limits our opportunities. And we we all know that is true. that, That money can expand your opportunities, but it can also limit your opportunities. It's all in how you use it. It's what you do with that money. In fact, many of us see that if we have more money... We have more opportunities to do good with that money. And doing good doesn't always and only mean giving to the church. I know that's what we automatically think of. Oh, yeah, he says, when I have more money, I need to give more to the church. Here's what I'm talking about. When you have more money, you have more opportunities to do good for your family. You got kids, you have more opportunities to take care of them, provide for them, educate them, get them off to a great start, give them a good home environment. Or or you got more money? Maybe you have now the opportunity that you did not have when you had less money to start that business you've always wanted to start and do good with that, not only to make money for yourself, which is awesome, but also to provide a product or a service that will help somebody else, to provide employment for people in the community so they can put food on their table for their families. I think about people you know, like John and Tamara uh, in their business. I think about my own father. I remember him starting his company in our living room, a, a construction company. And he was the general contractor. My mom was his bookkeeper in our dining room. They cleared out the dining room furniture, put two desks in there, and that was their office. And I asked him that first year after he started his company, how do you feel? He said, Ricky, it's weird. I work harder, get paid less, and feel so much better. (laughs) He said, I love what I do. And I think about over the years, how many people he has employed, how many people he has helped. That is a good thing to do. That the more money you have, the more opportunities you have to do good. To help a family member, to help a friend, to start a business, to invest in someone in the community. And yes, of course, to help God's people do God's work in our world. But often, the less money you have, the fewer opportunities that you have to do good. How many times have you saw a need and you wanted to give, but you couldn't because you just couldn't afford it at that time? I mean, I remember, you know, watching, what was that television show? I can't remember it now, where they would go in and just bless this person or this family with totally remodeling their home. Remember that? Remember that? Extreme Home Makeover. I love that show. Always brought me to tears. I know that shocks you. Um, I don't watch any Hallmark Christmas shows, by the way. I don't watch any of them. Cry enough in real life without that. But I love that show, and I would sit and think, now that's what I'd do if I had more money. Man, I would help people. I want to bless people. And I think probably some of you have been that way. Think, Man, if I just had more money, I could do so much good. Here's why we need to be careful with how we. Use our money. Often we don't have the ability or the capacity to do more good because we have made choices that limited our ability. We went into debt, and now that we owe money, that money is accounted for. Those dollars are no longer mine. I have to do what I have to do with them to pay off my debt. Proverbs chapter 22, verse 7 puts it this way. The rich rules over the poor. And the borrower is slave to the lender. When you borrow money, you now are indebted to that lender. You're essentially enslaved to that lender. I can't now do with these dollars what I want to do because they have a new master, MasterCard. And, and I have to obey. I can't do whatever I want to do. i got to do what MasterCard or American Express or Visa or General Motors or Ford or whoever. I've got to do what they say because I'm indebted to them. And, and there's this debtor, there's this slave master relationship that has been created. Now, we also know how that feels In more personal experiences, if you ever loaned a family member or a friend money, don't raise your hand, don't say yes, especially if they're in the room, Uh, and they didn't pay you back, or they're behind in paying you back, that sure makes Thanksgiving different, doesn't it? When you're sitting across the table looking over that turkey to the turkey that owes you money, and they haven't paid you, and they're four months behind, and they said they wouldn't get behind. And you don't say a word, they don't say a word about it, but the tension is in the air. And if you're the one who owes that money back, you feel it certainly. In fact, Bankrate.com did a survey and they said 57% of those polled have seen a family or other relationship end because of loaning money to each other. And they said 63% of people polled have seen someone skip out on repaying a family member or a friend. Whenever you are indebted, it creates a different relationship between you and the person you owe the money to. And as followers of Jesus, we need to be reminded of Proverbs 22.7, the rich rules over the poor and the borrower is slave to the lender. When when someone else's name is on the money that we have, it is no longer ours, and our opportunities are now limited because we made choices. I chose to do this, which now means I can't do that. And we have to recognize the principle that money expands and limits our options. And then the third principle is this. Money must be managed. Money must be managed. Now, in church world, you often hear the word steward. Or stewardship and that's where we get the idea from for stewardship it just literally means to be a manager that as a steward you're not an owner you're just a manager that all that you've been given is on loan to you and we know that the Bible says you brought nothing into the world and you will take nothing out according to the book of Job and so that's that's Exhibit A that you are not an owner of anything. You didn't bring anything into this world, and when you die, you're not taking anything with you. So, everything you have, where did it come from? It came from God, your creator, your maker, your sustainer, and you are his manager. In fact, do you remember in the book of Genesis when God created Adam and Eve and placed them in that perfect garden? Um, In fact, before he created Eve, he, he told Adam, who was by himself, I want you to name all the creatures of the earth. And so Adam starts naming the animals. And what was God doing in assigning that task to Adam? God was showing Adam, You didn't make any of this. You're not their creator. You're not the creator of this earth or this universe. I am, but I'm going to delegate my authority to you. I want you to represent me down there, and here's the way I'm going to rep- you. You represent me. I want you to name the animals on my behalf. Whatever you choose, you choose. But I'm going to entrust you with that job. That's one reason God gave Adam the task of naming the animals. I think there was a second reason. I don't know how long it took Adam. Men can be slow at times, and women know that. Sometimes it just takes a while for things to dawn on us. I don't know if it was the first day (laughs) or maybe a few days later that Adam has been naming these animals. And finally, wait a minute, there's no one here like me. (laughs) And that's when he realized he was alone and then God created Eve. And so I think God wanted him to see, you have a problem that you can't solve on your own. Don't go looking for love in all the wrong places. You just look to me. That would be a good country song. Maybe somebody (laughs) ought to write that. And so God created Eve. And so we are are stewards. We're managers of everything that God created and that God has made possible and that we're going to give an account to him one day. God requires us to manage what we have. Proverbs chapter 27, verse 23. Know well the condition of your flocks and give attention to your herds. Now, that may not speak to you. You may not say that's now my new life verse, because you know we just we're not an agrarian society anymore. But in that day, they understood what that meant. These are not pets; these flocks and herds. This is my livelihood. This is how I care for myself and my family. This is how I leave a legacy to the next generation. This is how I interact with this world in a successful way. And God says, you better pay attention to the affairs of your financial situation. You better know how much you've got and where it's going. You better know how much to spend and how much to save. And so today, maybe we would translate that verse, know well the condition of your bank account, give attention to your financial affairs. But often we don't. We know everything there's to know about sports. It's my wife anyway. I said, man, why didn't you go into that field? You could have been an announcer. She could have been an NFL coach, the woman knows so much. She amazes me. I said, you could be making us some buku money. There are people that know everything about sports. There are people who know everything about, you know, politics. There are people who know everything about the latest movie or, or the book trilogy. And they know all the characters and the plot lines and they can't wait for the movie. There are people who know everything they're, almost there is to know about their, their vocation and their experts and their pros. And then when it comes to their finances, they have no clue. Don't know how much they're making. Don't know where it's going. In fact, they, they even make that statement. Where does our money go? They have no clue. In Proverbs 27, 23 says, You need to know these things. Money must be managed. God requires us to manage what we have. And money management requires a plan. Money management requires a plan. Jesus said in Luke chapter 14, verses 28 through 30, he's given this parable of, of a builder. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost "...whether he has enough to complete it. Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. For years I would think of this passage of Scripture on my way to Orlando on I-4. You remember that, that skyscraper that sat there half-finished for years and years and years?" How many preachers have used that as an illustration in their sermon? This is why you must plan. Before you start, you need to know not only what you're trying to accomplish, but do you have the necessary resources to finish? Why go into battle if you don't know that you're going to be able to win the battle? So Jesus says money management requires a plan. You can't just say, oh, I want to have more money. I want to be out of debt. I want to be able to give more You can't just want, you need a plan. And wise people save money. They don't spend everything they receive in income plus some by going into debt. Wise people save money. Proverbs chapter 21 verse 20. The wise store up choice food and olive oil, but fools gulp theirs down. So the wise person is storing up what's important and valuable they're not consuming everything that comes in. And part of the problem in America is most Americans cannot withstand an emergency where they need to come up with just $5,000 cash. They can't do it. Most Americans cannot do it. They've got to go borrow the money to do it. Most Americans are living paycheck to paycheck. Most Americans are one emergency away from bankruptcy. And that's not the way God wants us to live. That's not financial freedom. You're living in fear and worry and stress. And that day, that emergency is not maybe it will come. It's just when it will come and in what form it will come. You need to save. And building wealth takes time and it takes discipline. If people are trying to give you a get-rich-quick scheme, run from that. Oh, I found about this opportunity. If I just could give them $5,000, they'll triple my money in a month. (gasps) Sounds too good to be true, doesn't it? Uh, Yeah, it really does. Because anything that sounds too good to be true is too good to be true. The most important thing to do is not try to get rich quick, but take time and discipline. Proverbs 28 verse 20 says, A faithful man... Faithful over the long haul, a faithful man will abound with blessings, but whoever hastens to be rich will not go unpunished. You're going to suffer if you just run off and try everything rather than God's basic biblical principles lived out day by day, week after week, month by month, year after year, faithfully following God's biblical principles. And here's the cool thing about God. Maybe you're here and you're not even a follower of Jesus. You're not sure if you believe all this Bible or stuff. Let me tell you something. This works whether you believe it or not. To have a plan. To live on less than you bring in. To save for the future and save for emergencies. To be generous and to give. That's the way God wired our world. You won't regret that. But the reason we Christians do it. We followers of Jesus do It's because we believe God is our master. He's our Lord. He's our boss. And we believe one day we're going to stand before him. And we're going to give an account of how we lived our lives and what we did. With the time he gave us. With the talents and abilities he gave us. With the money and the financial opportunities he gave us. With the voice that he gave us to tell other people about him. That we're going to give an account and we want him to be pleased we're not trying to earn our salvation. We're not trying to get God to love us more. We're doing it because he loves us and we love him. And we want to be good managers of what he has given us. But here's the problem. You need an exit strategy if you don't want to want anymore. Well, I want to get out of debt. I want to be able to give more. I want to save for the future. I want to be ready for an emergency. Well, then you need an exit plan to get off this road that has led you to financial bondage. You need an exit plan that gets you onto the road where you don't want anymore. And we're going to give you a practical tool called Financial Peace University. Now, for many of you, you've already gone through FPU once or twice or three times. You can go through it as many times as you want. Because here's what you'll discover. I've gone through FPU twice now. Don and I are still working our plan. And every time we do this, we learn something new. Or we're at a different place now than we were the first time we took it. And we say, oh, I didn't catch that part. And this makes sense now. And so maybe you need to go through FPU again. Or maybe you need to go back and do a refresher course. Look through your workbook. Look through your notes. Get back on a, on, a, on a budget With your family. But if you've never gone through FPU. I want to encourage you to sign up. And, and let me correct the video announcements. It's going to be on Sunday, uh, the 13th, from 5 to 6.30 p.m. And we will offer child care. But you need to sign up so we can be prepared for you. And typically, this costs like for the kit that we purchased from Dave Ramsey. We don't make a dime on this. We pass on the cost to you for the kit. is like $90. For you guys, we're going to give it 60-something. It's in your bulletin. I forgot what it said. But we're trying to subsidize that. So there's no excuse for you to give. T- tell me you can't find $6 a week. A little more than that, a little less than that over a nine week period. you can do this. you can do this, and so i 'm going to encourage you don't make any more excuses don't say i'll do it next time. get involved in FPU now. go to our fcbc.life, click on the FPU um, card. you just scroll and then find the card and um, And just click on that and sign up. If you don't know how to do that or you're not sure about it, just go to the back and we'll have some guest services, volunteers. We have two kiosks back there. They're already uh, set up to FCBC.life and so they can do it for you. Uh, Or just call the office. We're trying to make it easy. And if someone here today says, even the 60-something dollars is more than I can do, you need FPU. And you just call us and tell us that. And uh, we want to make sure that we find a way for you to get there. Amen? So, so, so you just let us know. We'll work with you. We'll help you. But it's one of the best things I, we've ever done. I wish I had better skills with technology. I, I had a friend send me a picture of her and her husband on Facebook Messenger. And oh, I, couldn't, I couldn't save that picture so I could show it to you now. But many of you probably know um, This young couple, they got married just a few years ago, and they went into their marriage with tens of thousands of dollars of debt. Most of it was student loan debt, um, Garrett Carter and Adrian. And uh, John Schultz, our associate pastor, said, one of the best things you guys can do at the beginning of your marriage, go to FBU. And so they did reluctantly. In this picture, and I'll I'll post it on my Facebook page uh, after church today, but this picture is of them standing there holding up a little sign We are debt-free. In 18 months, they cleared over $50,000 worth of debt. How did they do it? FPU gave them the plan. FPU will help you manage your money, communicate with your spouse, get out of debt, save for emergencies, plan for college and retirement, find the right kind of insurance, and ultimately change your family tree once and for all. Financial peace and freedom is just around the corner. Sign up for FPU. Let's pray together. With your heads bowed, your eyes closed, maybe this morning you need to make a commitment you're going to sign up for this class today. Others of you, you've already done that, but you need to rework the plan. Others of you need to trust Jesus as your Savior. Maybe you need to join a life group in our church. Whatever it is, our guest services volunteers are ready to help you this morning at our What Is Your Next Step area in the back of our auditorium. Take your time, stop by, and let us help you take that next step. Father, we commit ourselves to you now. Have your will and way. Find us faithful and obedient to what you're calling us to do. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.